that summer where I was getting separated and divorced, I mean, I just, I didn't care. I mean, I just, I want, I just wanted the pain to end. We thought it was pretty routine, but once they started doing the checks and things, um, the tone of the room kind of got kind of, kind of quiet, kind of, the nurse was like, hold on, I need to go get the doctor. And we were like, what just happened? From the time 2015 hit to the time of probably 2019, uh, we had about eight deaths in the family. Wow. And uh, my my kids, uh, my son and my daughter at the time had experienced more death and funerals than I had in my entire life. Have you ever been blindsided by bad news? And I'm not talking about a concert being sold out. I'm talking about devastating news, life-altering news. I remember my dad calling me at 4 a.m. to tell me that my brother had taken his own life. It was the worst news I had ever heard before or since. Maybe you have recently received this kind of news. Maybe someone close to you has passed. Maybe you or someone you know has received news of disease or sickness that will change their life forever. You know that God is supposed to work all things for good, but how? How can he take this kind of news and turn it into something good? Can God truly take this kind of hurt and turn it into joy? These are some of the questions that I want to ask our guest today as he shares his life change story. Hey friend, why don't you introduce yourself and let the listeners know who you are. My name is Jeremy. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with codependency, workaholic tendencies, and grief, and I'm grateful to be here. Hey, Jeremy, it's glad to have you. Thanks for joining me today. Um, I know you through church, and I'm so glad that you agreed to come here and tell us your life change story. So why don't we start off with telling the listeners kind of where you grew up? I mean, were you born in Northwest Arkansas, or did you uh, grow up somewhere else and move here? Tell us a little bit about your past. I was born in Topeka, Kansas. I lived in that area. Of Topeka, Olathe, Kansas City area for about seven years and then moved down here uh, when I was eight. Uh, I've been in Northwest Arkansas now 34 years. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So most of your life. Most yeah. of my life I've been here. And uh, so I've seen a lot of changes, uh, a lot of growth, um, just uh, personally and and uh, through the, the city. Yeah. <laughs> Northwest Arkansas has changed immensely in those 34 years. So did you grow up with any siblings or? I did. Uh, six boys. Uh, I'm six. one of six boys. <laughs> wow. No sisters. I get the question all the time. And uh, so I'd say no girls in my family. And people are like, what about your mom? I'm like, oh, no, that's mom. She's not a girl. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so it's kind of one of those funny things that it's just been uh, growing up with six boys, uh, the amount of chaos and the amount of food that my parents went through. I'm surprised that um, they were able to feed us all. Uh, we actually ate very well, as you can tell. <laughs> so where are you on the totem pole? Were you the baby or were you in the middle somewhere or where so were you? I was kind of unique. Um, I was number two. Or I am number two, I guess. <laughs> um, my older brother and then myself. And then there's an 11-year gap. And then there's four more. And so uh, we got to learn a lot about uh, kids growing up. Like I was 11 when my next youngest brother was born. Um, Got pretty proficient at helping changing diapers and things like that. So um, it was kind of a kind of a cool way to grow up. I never really thought about it until um, I started meeting other families of just uh, uh, younger siblings, and they were all very close, so they never really had that experience. And so, uh, like my wife would tell you, um, she didn't know about changing diapers until she was like babysitting and things like that. Right. 
And uh, it's been kind of a funny thing between the two of us. And she's like, you knew how to change diapers one-handed, eat one-handed. I mean, <laughs> she's like, that's not normal. Normal people don't normally see that. So. <laughs> you had a little experience that most men don't have. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because my youngest brother was born when I was 18. And so there was there was a... Uh, uh, from the time I was 11 till the time I was 18, there was a, a lot of, um, mom and dad needed some help, uh, extra hands here and there. We were all homeschooled. So, um, or at least my older brother and I were up until, uh, my next youngest brother, he actually was public schooled, uh, in the last four. So it, it's, uh, my mom was kind of like, well, um, it's easy to homeschool too. Uh, it's harder to homeschool two plus four when they're going into kindergarten and learning to read and things like that. So that became a challenge. So how much older is your brother than you? Uh, so my older brother is only 11 and a half months, uh, older than myself. Okay. So So. you guys are, you guys aren't too far apart now. Did you fight Mm -hmm. and fight like cats and dogs or were you guys really close? There was, there was some times that we would, uh, get to wrestling around and, uh, music choices. I mean, I was a heavy DC talk fan. Uh, he was a heavy audio adrenaline fan. So you got two spectrums there, um, of just, uh, music tastes. And so we would try to split that up, but then there were days where I'm like, I'm going to turn my music up louder. And we've, we shared a room, uh, most of my life, um, because we were so close in age. Uh, we just shared a room all the time. And so there was a time where we got to wrestling around. We put a hole in the wall. Uh, it was a big body print of me picking up my brother and kind of pushing him forward. And, (laughs) uh, we put a poster over the wall. I'm not condoning this at all whatsoever. (laughs) Um, we forgot about it until we moved out and we took the poster down and there was a hole in the wall. And mom was like, uh, what what happened here? (laughs) Mom was like, um, Tell me about this hole. And my dad's like, well, you guys know the drill because growing up, if we put a hole in the wall, we drywalled it. We didn't, uh, we, we didn't pay for it. We actually had to do it. Wow. So we learned how to drywall that way. <laughs> so you mentioned two music groups that are Christian, DC mm-hmm. Talk and Audio Adrenaline. And I know that, but sometimes the listeners don't. So it sounds to me like um, there was at least a... Uh, knowledge of God and that sort of thing. So tell me about that. I mean, did your parents bring you up with a Christian belief system or how did that, how did that work? Oh, absolutely. Um, Grew up in Christian family. Uh, Both parents um, grew up in Christian families. Uh, So grandparents uh, went to church uh, Sunday, (laughs) Wednesdays, um, and just kind of had that um, uh, Christian background, just a solid Christian background. I mean, my grandfather, uh, he's still in Topeka. Um, he loves the Lord. He, he really, um, kind of poured in to the generations. Um, on my mom's side of the family for my grandfather, there's 19 grandkids, 17 boys, two girls, 17 (laughs) boys, my goodness. And so my grandfather instilled a lot of the leadership and, and what it means to be a godly man. And he wasn't, I've never seen him angry unless it was for a, a good reason. I mean, he, he was always calm. He always approached everything, uh, in a very stable way. Um, so I think a lot of times where I, I kind of think the back and go, wait, my grandfather, he taught me that, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, I loved my grandfather to death. I mean, he just, he really poured into me growing up. 
So how was your relationship with your dad and your and your mom? Because they were in there mm-hmm. with you all the time. Was it were you close with them, or was dad always at the at the office, or how was that like? Um, absolutely. My uh, my dad was a, a programmer, or still is a programmer, I guess. Um, he's uh, he was worked from home, so I mean, a lot of my family unit was was home all the time, uh, being homeschooled. Um, uh, my dad working at home, my mom working in the house. And, and so, I mean, it was just kind of one of those things. Um, I mean, we we really enjoyed it. Uh, there were things that my dad taught me um, on how to uh, run a, a small business or be self-employed because um, he was self-employed, gosh, from the time we moved. Oh, it was probably about two years after we moved down here. Uh, and then he became self-employed and then he was self-employed for 20 years, 30 years. Wow. So, so what was it like being homeschooled? Because most kids, at least I would assume that most kids, I was one of those kids that went to public schools and had interaction with other people who had different belief systems and everything mm-hmm. else, but you were kind of confined there to your home. Did you have much interaction with other kids or what was that like? Um, we were kind of a weird homeschool family. <laughs> we were weird for the public schoolers, and we were also weird for the homeschoolers. Uh, we didn't really fit either group. Um, I, I played hockey growing up. Um, I We met people at Jones Center. I, the guys that we played hockey with were the guys that were not football players out of Springdale. They were not uh, – <laughs> they didn't play any other sports um, like most of them, so they didn't fit into the, the, the school sports system. And so within that hockey crew, we really found a cool – niche of just great guys to to play hockey with um to learn about family units uh there was about five guys growing up that we would spend time in their houses and as long as mom knew we were in one of those five houses we were fine so it sounds like you had a really happy childhood and you know had good relationships with your siblings and mm-hmm. your mom and dad so i know and you know uh being adults now that sometimes we realize now that there were some dysfunctions in that family that maybe we didn't recognize when we were kids or was there any of that going on in your family? I mean, how did you, Mm -hmm. you know, did you, do you recognize that now compared to maybe then? Absolutely. Um, with being a family of six boys, I mean, things were chaotic a lot. Um, I didn't see my family. uh, I didn't see my mom and dad fight. Um, I just didn't know that married couples fight. I mean, that was kind of one of those um, um, things where I just, I couldn't put my finger on it, but something was different. And some of my codependency was because I knew mom was upset, but I didn't know if she was upset with me. So I would internalize that and say, oh, mom, are you okay? Are, are you happy with everybody? And, and I knew that there was something wrong, but it was mom and dad fighting. But it was hard to see because in their families, uh, when they were growing up, when the fight happened, it never showed outside of the house. I mean, uh, everything was kind of this perfect facade almost. And so I didn't learn how to fight. Um, I didn't I didn't learn how to um, work through issues and come back to it. And so um, that's happened in the last 20 years as my wife and I've been married. So um, but that's been a really cool thing to kind of to understand and to learn about. So it didn't sound like you had a, a lot of com, uh, conflict in your family. It sounded like you guys got along pretty good, or you, at least uh, you you ensured that there was a lot there. So you introduced mm-hmm. yourself with having codependency. How would you define codependency? <laughs> um, I hated to have people upset around me, mm. um, or, or I would think that they were upset at me, and so I would take that on and without even 
um, asking questions or I would, I would try to kind of lighten the mood by, uh, kind of being goofy or saying a joke or <laughs> I learned juggling early on just because everybody loves juggling. Right? <laughs> and so it was just one of those things that, um, if someone was upset or I would go out of my way, even if I didn't have the bandwidth to take on, I would take it on. And, mm-hmm. it, and those boundaries were not healthy. It was just, um, um, saying yes to projects because I needed to, um, help them feel better. And that wasn't the heart behind it was, was I need these people. I need everybody to be okay and be happy. And, and, and so that codependency was just ran rampant. Yeah. So where was God in your youth? I mean, you said you listened to Christian music. I mean, it sounded like your parents were Christians and that that was a part of it, but where, where would you say you had a God moment, a God experience as a child? As a child, um, growing up in church, um, I got baptized early on. Uh, I got saved early, um, and it was it was kind of one of those things that I saw the people around me, and I I knew uh, that Christianity was something that my family valued, and so I asked Jesus into my heart, and uh, uh, and then uh, about six eight months later, I got baptized. And that was with a church uh, up in Topeka. Um, my dad baptized me. Um, it was really cool um, just to kind of uh, have that experience. Um, and then just being able to, to publicly display, hey, I am a Christian. And then that's how I, I wanted to lead my life. So you basically graduated from homeschool. And then where did that lead you? Did you uh, When did you move out of the house? Did you get a job right out of high school? I mean, tell me about your uh, after high school years. Well, my college career was a little bit weird too, uh, because once I graduated high school, I had already had some uh, work experience. But um, during that time, it was always everybody was like, "Oh, you're, well, you're graduated now. You're expected to go to high, uh, college, I guess." And it was just that, "Hey, what are you going to do in college?" And it was just kind of kind of forced into. And I I thought I was going to be an architect. And I wanted to go to school for architecture. Um, I failed my creative art classes. <laughs> they were I just <laughs> I didn't do well with that. <laughs> and so architecture was out. Uh, I worked two, three jobs uh, while I was going to college to, to pay for college. Um, wasn't getting a whole lot of sleep and things. And then I realized after year two, uh, architecture classes just got harder. Um, I had a friend that was in architecture, and, and she was in for four or five years. Um, but she said by the year two, uh, you were pretty much sleeping at the studio. I mean, that's just kind of the way that that kind of rolled. <laughs> and so I just, I was like, okay, I'm going to just change over to uh, computer sciences because that's, I mean, I had built computers from the time I was 12. My dad's a programmer. I mean, so all of that kind of fit right in. And what I found was is that the school was, was actually um, about two years behind of the current technologies back then. And so I I was like, I'm, I'm not even going to finish this. This is just ridiculous because I'm paying money for um, things I already know. Right. And so just went right back into IT work. Uh, started my first IT company in 2001. Wow. And I've been doing IT ever since. So where, where did you meet your wife since you were homeschooled and everything? How did Tell me that story. Um, this is my second marriage. But through so, high school, I had dated a girl. And uh, we thought we were going to get married. And, and through college, uh, we were both in heavy college of um, law and, <laughs> and architecture. And um, it just, uh, it, it, she kind of sprung it on me. Hey, I want to have a baby. And I was like, whoa, uh, hold up. I'm... I'm 19, you're 18, this is not going to happen. We're pre-law, we're architecture, whatever. 
And it was one of those times where it was like, I just, I, I can't see us doing that. No, not a chance. Um, but she ended up uh, cheating on me. Um, she got pregnant. Um, and that was that. And so we went from being married in January uh, to separated in June to divorced. In so November. that fast. So, I mean, it was boom. But so, so let's go back. So, uh, because, so you dated this girl in high school. You sounds to me like you guys got married right out of high school. Right out of high school. Okay. Yep. So you got married and that was in January. Mm-hmm. And, but the reason why you got married or the, re- and she wanted to have a child, it sounds like mm-hmm. that was a, a goal of hers. And so, uh, but you didn't have a child through her, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Correct. But yeah. so January to June, I mean, it, it became real obvious that, that, uh, life isn't all cake and cookies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that was one of those where going into my second marriage, I realized kind of what things kind of looked like. Um, so that kind of short year between uh, 1999 and 01 uh, was just a uh, just a kind of tough. Uh, it was kind of almost a black hole, which is kind of why I kind of forget about it sometimes. <laughs> um, but I forget that that's part of my story. Um, and so the, the things that I learned through that, I was able to carry on into, um, dating Diane. And once we got married and understanding, uh, kind of this is this two way thing and, and knowing where some of my boundaries were, I didn't learn a lot about codependency until 2019. (laughs) Right. Um, so so you recognize that now when you didn't really recognize mm-hmm. it then. Oh, so absolutely. let me ask you this question. It sounds to me like you had a lot of confidence and that you felt very uh, good about yourself. Uh, where would you say your identity was? So, you know, after your first marriage, I mean, that tends to really deal hard with, I know I've been divorced and dealing hard emotionally with you. Did it change the way you thought about yourself or, mm-hmm. we, you know, what did you think about Jeremy after that time period? My identity um, was from the time I was probably in high school uh, until that divorce was my identity was hockey and it was uh, husband. Um, it was school. And that was the, I, I had to succeed in those three things because otherwise, what's the point? And so um, once I realized that these things could be uh, fragile or be taken away or um, that summer where I was getting separated and divorced. I mean, I just, I didn't care. I mean, I just, I want, I just wanted the pain to end. Um, and just being able to numb, I guess. Um, my, my older brother had given me his motorcycle for the summer, which was probably the bad thing to do. Uh, thank God I didn't get into any wrecks or anything, but I mean, I would just put the helmet on and just be on the motorcycle for hours at a time. Um, because I couldn't think of it about anything else. I could just, all I had to do was drive. And so I, I probably did a thousand miles on that bike that summer just because I could. Was that your coping um, mechanism yes. is oh, to get absolutely. on, get on that, that motorcycle and just escape reality. Mm-hmm. So whenever you got married to Diane, it sounds to me like you had a little bit of an experience and thought, okay, it may, you know, I'm going in here, uh, had a problem with my first marriage. I don't think I'm going to have one with this one, but it sounded to me like you kind of had a little bit, uh, eye opening experience. Mm-hmm. So how was that relationship with Diane that first year and going into that? I mean, was that good? Did you guys, uh, get pregnant early or, or how, how tell me about that first, uh, year in, in your marriage with Diane? Yeah. So that first year, um, we actually had a very open conversation as we were dating and as we were engaged. Um, we knew that the relationships we had previously come from, both of us had said, you know, this is not right. Um, this is, um, we want something different. 
Um, and so those conversations happened uh, early, early on. And then we went through uh, counseling at Fellowship through uh, marriage counseling uh, with Gary Harrell. <laughs> Love him to death. Um, and so we learned a lot about marriage and things together. And so we had a good five-year uh, stable platform of, of dating uh, before we, we had our first child, uh, Keo, uh, yeah. my son. He came in 07. So I know you've had some struggles. Uh, why don't you go walk us through that? Uh, so Keo was born in 20, or 2007. Uh, Eden was born in November of 2008. So it was about a year and a half apart. Um, 2017. Uh, we found out we were pregnant again. Um, so my, my daughter would have been, uh, what, nine? <laughs> so she was just about uh, 10, but she was nine at the time. Um, we had this conversation of, oh, my gosh, we're, we're pregnant. We have an eight-year gap of, oh, wow, now it's another car seat, another round of diapers. I thought we were completely done with diapers. And so um, we just, we, we kind of stepped back and looked, okay, all right, God, you got this plan. It wasn't something that we had in our plan, um, but hey, we're just going to go with it. So uh, from, from January of uh, 2017 to April, all the, everything was great. Everything checked out. Um, they scheduled an ultrasound in April of 17. And that ultrasound, it, it, we thought it was pretty routine, but once they started doing the checks and things, um, the tone of the room kind of got kind of kind of quiet. Kind of, the nurse was like, "Hold on, I need to go get the doctor," and we were like, "What just happened?" So doctor came in. Uh, he did some checks. He didn't even say hi. He just kind of he just went straight to the ultrasound machine, started looking. Um, and so we, I was kind of like, "This guy's kind of being a jerk." I mean, I'm, I, hey, how are you? Uh, who are you? What you doing? <laughs> um, and just uh, started kind of throwing red flags. And uh, so then he kind of turned to us and he said, hey, um, I, I need to tell you that your daughter has anencephaly. What is this? <laughs> what a, I've never heard the term, um, but it's where the skull doesn't form above the eyebrows. And so um, he said it's terminal. And so it was a shock. I mean, just absolute shock. Like uh, my mom had six boys, didn't have any troubles, um, had some unique struggles with the youngest one, but everything was fine. Um, but in this situation, it, they were just like, it's straight terminal. And so we're, we go from this roller coaster of, oh, my gosh, we're having another kid. Um, oh, my gosh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> oh, my gosh, she's terminal. Um, and just... The roller coaster that was that that first uh, four months of that pregnancy was just insane. Did the doctor offer to terminate the baby before the pregnancy? Uh, so he didn't, um, but there were other. Um, I w I'm using air quotes of we can have other delivery options, and it was one of those things that um, we started kind of digging in, and they're like, "What are the other delivery options?" Oh well, delivering early or terminating or things like. And the biggest thing on my heart was she has a heartbeat. Um, if she has a heartbeat, then she's under my care. Uh, who am I to say, hey, this is going to be hard. Um, we're going to terminate early. That's that's just not in my vocabulary. Um, and so we went through uh, the next month or so of just kind of processing that um, uh, and then handing that over to God and saying, you know what? It is what it is. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to plan for this. So we'll just make the most of it. 
and uh, the personality that Savvy Grace had. Um, my hands are always warm. I would touch mama's belly and Savvy would kind of calm down. And Eden's hands, my daughter, uh, her hands are always cold. And so she would touch uh, mama's belly and, and Savvy would play. She would she would kind of poke and kick and turn and and kind of kind of play around and so Eden thought that was the greatest thing, um, and just seeing her react even in the womb, um, you can't tell me that there's there's not someone there understanding what's going on. I mean, and so just to be clear, Savvy is the name of your unborn right, child, right? right? Okay, at the time. So, um, the next six months, we carried her to term. Um, she had a strong heartbeat. Um, she was, she had movement. I mean, so we just didn't know what to expect. We prayed, we prayed for healing. We said, God, please heal her. Um, and so we started doing more research about anencephaly and it's not something the doctors know a lot about. Um, the skull forms at like the six week mark. And so you can't really detect anencephaly, um, until you have like those ultrasounds and start seeing the, the development. And so, um, once, uh, once we got to delivery, um, everybody knew uh, our doctor, super sweet doctor. Um, she said she didn't know what to to do. I guess she was. She said we could we could deliver her, and she could her heart could stop. She could be with us for a while. There's been anencephaly children that have been around for three or four days. There's been anencephaly children that have been around for a couple of years. I mean, so there's there's just kind of this weird um, unknown that we didn't we couldn't plan for. And so, um, September 5th, uh, 2017, we delivered, uh, 40 weeks. Um, she was a four and a half pounds, just tiny little angel. Um, we did get to see her eyes open, uh, super deep blue eyes. Um, and, uh, she was only with us about 10 minutes and then her heart stopped and that was, uh, she went home. And so, um, one of the things that, that, has been with me since, uh, Eden, uh, my, my first daughter, she said, mom, why is everybody so sad? She gets to meet Nana today. She gets to play with Nana. And I'm like, Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> that hurts. Wow. Um, but to see it from a, a nine year old's perspective of she's with, she's with Nana because, because Nana had passed away a couple years earlier, which is Diane's mom. And, uh, um, it was just a, A lesson in what can I control and what I can't control. I knew that I was a Christian, um, but it was harder um, uh, to try to translate that from head knowledge to heart knowledge um, because I had a very smooth childhood. Um, there wasn't a lot of loss or death in the family. There wasn't a lot of storms in the family. Um, we didn't experience a lot of just hurts, uh, growing up. So it, it made it easy to kind of be that Christian of, <laughs> Hey, wow, this is, this is pretty easy. I think this is all right. <laughs> and it, it wasn't until about 2015 that when we started experiencing things like Diane's mother passing away from the time 2015 hit to the time of probably 2019, uh, we had about eight deaths in the family. Wow. And, uh, my, my kids, uh, my son and my daughter at the time had experienced more death and funerals than I had in my entire life. Wow. 
And so in their short lives, they, they lost a grandmother, they lost a sister, um, they lost a great-grandfather, um, a great-grandmother, uh, another great-grandmother. I mean, just just one right after another, just crazy stacked. And uh, Keo took it pretty hard. Um, he, he was very quiet that day, um, but he has a very tender heart. Um, and still to this day has a tender heart of, he doesn't like to see people hurting. Um, and just... Um, how the both Keo and Eden reacted, and and uh, as the family, as the four of us, kind of uh, kind of pulled together, and we were like, you know, the, we're in this together. We're a family. Um, it actually drew us together and, and didn't drive us apart. Um, which I, I didn't know at the time, but they say when you lose a child, uh, the divorce rate just explodes. Um, and so that was just not something on the table. Cause I mean, the four of us were hurting. Well, I mean, it was not in my vocabulary to, to say, well, I'm hurting. See ya. Um, and so, uh, that 2017 year was kind of that pivot point of, of being able to take the head knowledge that I had and truly apply it, um, to say, you know what, God, it's not my will, it's yours. Um, uh, Plum has a great song, uh, called Broken Places, uh, it's been around. It's been out for years, and I didn't know it. Um, but the thing, the first two lines in that song are, "I, I trust you to heal. I trust you to save." Um, but that next line just killed me. Was that I trust you enough to get out of the way? Um, and I had to get out of the way. I had to take my, um, I had to take my plan and my will and say, you know what, God, it's not mine. It's yours, and I need to get out of the way on that. So in recovery, we say God never wastes a hurt. So how <laughs> has God used this hurt in your life to, you know, for positive change? Then um, that's that shift from my head knowledge to my heart knowledge. And that's where God took that and empowered um, my ability to, to understand uh, hurts and habits and hangups and and the numbing mechanisms that come along with those I have a huge soft spot for mental health. I love to I love to talk to people about hurts and habits and hangups because um, I don't want people to hurt. I mean that's that was built into me from very very early. Um, but I now have a tool set of saying, hey, um, if you're hurting, then we let's fill it with God instead of filling it with a, a, a chemical or uh, filling it with workaholic uh, uh, tendencies or codependency or anger. or And so each of those things can be something that, that I just hang on to. Um, but knowing that God says, hey, hang on to me, we'll take care of the rest. Thanks, Jeremy, for sharing your story with us. Hey, if you are listening today and you or someone you know has received some bad news, sometimes there are no good reasons and answers to why something bad has happened. Maybe something bad has happened to you a long time ago and the bitterness of that hurt has run through your life like poison. Maybe you have resentment toward God. I can't answer the question of why, but I can tell you that God can heal you as you surrender that hurt back to Him. He can bring purpose to your hurt, and He can lead you through the darkness. Do you need healing? Do you need a higher power to get you through a tough time? Well, God is waiting to turn your mourning into dancing, your graves into gardens, He is the only one who can. However, 
If nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time.